I'm going to read uh, two passages of Scripture. The first I'll read, and then the second we'll read together on the screen. The first is from Isaiah chapter 19. If you've got your Bibles to hand, you could uh, look at that. Isaiah 19, 19. In that day, there will be an altar to the Lord in the heart of Egypt and a monument to the Lord at its border. It will be a sign and witness to the Lord Almighty in the land of Egypt. When they cry out to the Lord because of their oppressors, he will send them a savior and defender and he will rescue them. So the Lord will make himself known to the Egyptians. And in that day, they will acknowledge the Lord. They will worship with sacrifices and grain offerings. They will make vows to the Lord and keep them. The Lord will strike Egypt with a plague. He will strike them and heal them. They will turn to the Lord and he will respond to their pleas and heal them. In that day, there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria. The Assyrians will go to Egypt and the Egyptians to Assyria. The Egyptians and Assyrians will worship together. In that day, Israel will be the third along with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing on the earth. The Lord Almighty will bless them, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, Assyria, my handiwork, and Israel, my inheritance. I don't know if the radicalness of that passage hit you. Isaiah the prophet, speaking in a day of superpowers of Egypt and Assyria, and little Jerusalem in the middle, still, if you look at the news, it's it's that little strip of land and, and there's Syria on one side and the Egyptians on the other and the Palestinians and it's so volatile. And Isaiah the prophet says there will be an altar to the Lord in the heart of Egypt. Where's the altar in Old Testament? Great cells whirring. It's in the temple in Jerusalem. The holy of holies, the place that God had said, I will dwell, and to be worshipped, to bring sacrifice. And there's a whole lot of, of teaching that says, if you bring sacrifices unworthily, or inappropriately, or not the way he said, then there's, there's judgment. It's not right. God is holy, holy, holy. But yet, Isaiah the prophet foresees a time where there will be an altar in Egypt. And not only that, he says, this day that is coming will have worshippers in Egypt and worshippers in Assyria. And they will get more than get along together. They will worship the one true God freely in all these places. Now, it's a bit like me saying, you know, if we went back 70 years to World War II, preaching in the middle of the Blitz time. It's a bit like saying, we will worship freely with the Germans Or it's a bit like saying in recent history in the Cold War, come on, uh, Mr. Nixon, there's not going to be a Cold War. We're going to worship freely. We're going to go across to Russia, and it's all going to be great. We're going to worship God together. There would be a stony wall of silence to match the stony Cold War. Or imagine today saying to those living in Israel, the Jews, saying you will freely pass into Damascus and worship 
in Damascus or Tehran or Baghdad. Say again. Which is Assyria. Do you get it? The vision of the kingdom. The vision of the kingdom. We're considering this in our themes on vision of building God's kingdom. I want to, to reflect on the welcome to the kingdom. The other passage we're going to read, uh, which hopefully will come up on the screen, is going to be from Isaiah, uh, Matthew chapter 5. And it's a familiar passage, wonderful passage. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. This is Jesus. His disciples came to him and he, came, he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who, are, who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men and that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Thank you. What an amazing manifesto. What an amazing description. This is the nature of the kingdom. Welcome to it. Brothers and sisters, as we seek to, to build God's kingdom, as we seek to be part as a church and as individuals gathered together in this time and this place, we are seeking to build God's kingdom and see the kingdom come. It is coming. That's one of the promises that stirs us. And I want to remind us about the welcome to the kingdom, but put it in bigger terms. The last little line of our vision statement is, because you all know it so well now, reaching the nations, it's, it's just there as the clue. Building the kingdom and reaching the nations are part and parcel. And what does it mean to welcome to the kingdom? Well, one description would be the be attitudes. The attitudes of the people who belong. The attitudes of the citizens who belong to the king and are part of this kingdom. The peacemakers, the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Those who mourn because they see it's not meant to be this way. Welcome to the kingdom. All through the pages of the Old Testament, all through the pages of Scripture, this clarion call to come, welcome, welcome to God, welcome to a new life, welcome to be part and parcel of, of the purposes and the plans of this great, faithful, good God. 
Right from, from the opening chapters in, in Genesis 1 to, to 10, you get this kind of national, global feel. Starts off with a couple of people, Adam and Eve, and we understand that there's a great problem because we say, I want to do my own way, not God's. And we see that that leads to death, that leads to uh, rebellion and disobedience, it leads to us being alienated from God. And we see in those opening chapters the, the story, this cycle of rejection and rebellion against God on a global scale. This is all people. Adam and Eve, then the next generation, Cain and Abel, and onwards to chapter 6 with Noah and the flood. All people except just this man and his family who God miraculously, wonderfully, mercifully, graciously saves and rescues. Through onwards to that story of the tower that was built because people said, well, we can be like God himself. And he scatters them, confuses language. And it's kind of a, a bleak situation in chapter 10, the mind of this global scale of the rebellion, this global rejection of God of which we are part of. And into the story like a, a laser beam or a spotlight being focused upon Abraham. This man with his flock of sheep and goats and his tents, elderly. That the focus of God's plans upon this one man and his wife. And said, through you all nations will be blessed. From the cataclysm of all nations in rebellion and rejection through this one man, the promise that all nations will be blessed. That God will work out his purposes, the kingdom will come through this man who says, I will obey, I will have faith, I will do as God has said. Wonderful. That through that covenant promise, you see winding and weaving and drawing in and drawing in that all nations will be blessed. We see it as God moves, his, moves Abraham and then Jacob and, sorry, Isaac and then Jacob and then the 12. And as they multiply and they journey through Genesis into Egypt and there's a land and a, a plentiful, but things take a turn for the worse, a new Pharaoh. And rather than life in Egypt going well, it becomes oppressive. And God raises up a rescuer in the form of the old man Moses. Set my people free. In order that they should go and live in the new land, the promised land that was also promised to Abraham. And that through them, the light should come, that there should be a blessing to all nations. And so it comes to pass. It's a Christmas phrase, isn't it? And lo, it comes to pass. God works it out. The people of God, after a slight delay of 40 years, come to the promised land. And they settle in it and begin to take the land and a call to live as lights. Not a city that can't be hidden and covered up because, you know, light shine. I don't know if you saw this week that beautiful image of the world from space. Did you see that? In clear skies of how bright even cities are from, from dozens of miles away. It's not hidden. They shine brightly. God's intention for his people to shine into this dark world and rescue the world by saying there is hope for all peoples. Now this isn't an Old Testament overview that's going to weave and, and take ages and ages. 
but it's there through the themes. As God reaches out again and again to those who even weren't part of the promise, in the story of Jericho, we find who? Rahab. In the story of, uh, of, of uh, in the little book of Ruth, of how Naomi goes and she's in the, the Moabite land and, and Ruth becomes someone so faithful to God and to his ways that the book is named after her. And she has the privilege of being one of the, the, the ancestors of Jesus Christ, that God works into his purposes of reaching to the nations, all peoples, all peoples. Isaiah, the clarion call of the prophet, saying to Egypt and Assyria and little Israel in the middle of this power play of great superpowers of the day, he will bring and bring about a new kingdom, a new era for all nations. Welcome to the kingdom. It doesn't take me much to remind you of how Jesus picks that theme up. You know, he came to say, you know, I came to the Jews. I'm from among this, this tribe of Judah, the Messiah. But all the way through his ministry, that, that glimpse, that pushing out of the boundaries to those who weren't the chosen, as it was framed in the Old Testament language, but were God's people nonetheless, lost, the Savior to all. God with us. The Syrophoenician woman, the man possessed in the Gedesarenes, how he journeys into Samaria to the Samaritan woman, how again and again Jesus reaches out Beyond the borders, the hint, the glimpse, all nations, all peoples, welcome. Come to the kingdom, come and belong. What does he say as he's risen and commands the church? Go into all the nations and make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. Or in Luke's version, wait, wait in Jerusalem, brothers and sisters, and I will send you another helper, the Holy Spirit, who will clothe you with power. And on that, on that day in Pentecost, as they spilled out on the streets, clothed with power, ready to take, on, to take on the mission and the initiative of the kingdom, that they will be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. On that very first day, they spilled onto the streets, first thing in the morning, speaking in the God-given tongues, reversing the fall of Babel, the curse of Babel of being scattered and disparate, of joined together, that every person in Jerusalem gathered that day, heard in their native tongue the praises of God Almighty. Come, you're welcome. Even on the very lips of Jesus, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Welcome to the kingdom. Brothers and sisters, this is the wonderful kingdom we belong to. Hey! And this is the kingdom that we invite people to join. You know, God invited you to join, didn't he? I love to see lots of noddings. 
but not everyone. God welcomes you to join. He says, come to me. You're welcome. Come to me. Don't stay at arm's length. Don't just peer in. Don't just kind of think of yourselves, well, it's for those you know, who have faith and I wish I could be like them. You can be. For the gospel is for all people in all places, of every tribe and every tongue. That beautiful picture in Revelation. They're there. Because they've come, because they've heard the call of God to you, to me. Come. You're welcome. I uh, came across this reminder. Remember that passage in Matthew 5, blessed, blessed, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God. Someone described it like this, are you on the list of the blessed? Are you walking in the good news of the kingdom, going around with confidence to those people around you in this hopeless, desperate world? Are you living in that assurance that you are blessed? Who would be on your list of those that the kingdom should reach? You know, we contrast how Jesus described the kingdom to how we see those who are celebrated. I just kind kind of came across these three covers of magazines you know, our kingdom says these, these are the blessed, aren't they? The beautiful. And the sporty. And the powerful. And the wealthy. It's, it's portrayed to us on the supermarket aisles as we look at the magazines that we could buy. Even TV Weekly, the beautiful. And those with all those talents and skills. Well, you may say some of them haven't got any talents and skills. Fame, prestige. It's all over. But who might you think of those then in the world's terms that are unfortunate? Well, look in those pages and the implication of those magazines and our world today that says The unblessed are the fat and the misshapen, the bald and the ugly, the old and those not restlessly engaged in romance or in sex or in fashionably equipped physical activities. That's what's being told about this world. That's the sad truth of the many people around us especially people in their teenage years, but also the elderly who feel themselves, well, we're not honored. We're just growing old ungraciously. Drifting into life, being told that to be thin and correctly shaped, to have glorious hair, appearing youthful and so forth, are the only terms for blessedness in this kingdom of the world. To all they know, they've not heard anything else. I love how Jesus counters this. Later on in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, consider the lilies. 
Consider that little picture of a lily, reminder of summer. It's beautiful, isn't it? And Jesus says, these are just more beautiful than even the most gloriously adorned king of all the Old Testament, Solomon. This little humble lily of the field is far more glorious than all of his wealth and status and being one of those beautiful people. And he says, you're much worth more than this. Because these lilies just get chopped down and they get put in flower arrangements and they die slowly and, and then they're just consigned to the compost heap. You're worth far more. And not because you're beautiful or thin or sporty, because you're made in his image. Consider the lilies. How much more are you worth to God? How much more are all those broken and misshapen and loveless people outside? Maybe we could rewrite the Beatitudes like this. Blessed are the physically repulsive. Blessed are those who smell bad. The twisted, the misshapen and the deformed. The too big, the too little, the too loud, the bald, the fat and the old. For they are riotously celebrated in the party of Jesus. He told a parable about being invited to a feast, didn't he? And the great and the good said, no thanks, we've got our own party. And he went out onto the highways and the byways and into the homeless shelters and the old people's homes. And said, come, you're welcome. And they came. And they came. Welcome to the kingdom. You know, I'm being slightly humorous about this, but the truth is the kingdom is for such as these. And seriously, the kingdom is for the crushed ones. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and broken and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The crushed ones, the flunk outs and the dropouts and the burnt out, the broken, the broken, the drug heads and the divorced, the HIV positive and the herpes ridden, the brain damaged, the incurably ill, the barren and the pregnant too many times, all at the wrong time, the overemployed, the underemployed, and the unemployed, the unemployable, the swindled, the shoved aside, the replaced, the parents with children living on the street, the children with parents not dying in the rest home, the lonely, the incompetent, the stupid, the emotionally starved, or the emotionally dead, and so on and so on. Welcome, says Jesus. Welcome to the kingdom. Even this morning, welcome. The kingdom belongs to such as these. I want to tell you three little stories of people. I want to tell you about Kumar. Kumar's a friend I trained with, and uh, he works in London now. Kumar grew up in Madras, call it Chennai now, and uh, he, he was the first son of his father and mother, and his father and mother were born into the, the Brahmin caste as Hindus, and the first son is just an amazing privilege, and he knew it. He was the top of the pile. He was the best of the rest. Everyone wanted to be Kumar because he was born into that place that said he had made it. 
and he knew it. They had a nice house. His dad was involved in banking. They had a beautiful garden. And he knew he could get away with anything because he was top of the pile. And one day, because he knew no one could tell him off, well, even his, his dad probably would, but he was spoilt, he decided, as boys do, to start playing with fire. You know what I mean? And Madras being Madras, it was in the dry season, the hot season. And as he was playing in fire, with fire in the garden, the garden caught fire and burnt and burnt and burnt. Now, if it would have been me when I set things on fire, I knew I was in for big trouble when Dad got home. Kumar was a little bit anxious because he'd burnt the garden down. He was eight. Dad came home, looked at the smoldering garden, was very angry. Who has done this? Kumar said, it wasn't me. Dad knew it was Kumar. But someone needed to be punished. So they called the gardener, and the gardener was beaten. Because it was the gardener's fault. And Kumar, in telling his story, would say, it was at that moment I began to see that this system of Hinduism was inherently cruel and repressive and wrong. Because he knew, he knew he had done wrong. But the punishment went somewhere else. And he began to, to see the, the fallacy of that religious system and he was sent to England and he became an atheist because he rejected all of that. And his parents were livid because he was the top of the top. And he was in university in Aberdeen studying chemistry. And he came to faith because he started to hear and see in people around him, Christians, a way of faith and life and living that made sense and was beautiful and welcomed the broken. And though he knew he had every right and every status in one religious system, he knew in his heart he was a broken man. And he invited Jesus in. Or more correctly, Jesus invited him to become part of the kingdom. Welcome to the kingdom. Come to me all who are weary, and heavy laden, and broken and desperate. Or thinking you've got it all sorted, come to the kingdom. Let me tell you uh, about another person I know. I'm going to call her Tracy, because she might listen to it online. She won't know it's her now, will she? <laughs> Tracy was 15 when I met her. She was in my old church, and um, she was she was quite quite large, really. But that wasn't the issue for Tracy. She uh, about nine months before had been in the park one night and got drunk with a guy and they'd slept together in a ditch and the result of that meeting in the ditch was that she fell pregnant she wasn't very good at school anyway and this kind of made her even less inclined to be at school and she, she dropped out before her GCSEs and she was pregnant on the first day of my work, I got a call when I was first started my first day of ministry. The first phone call I had was from her mum. And she said, my daughter's had a child. Can you christen her? Now, 
in college, we'd had a lecture saying, what's going to be the first phone call of the first day? <laughs> I tell you, it wasn't this situation. So in summary, I said, no, I'm not going to christen her because we're, we're Baptists and we baptize believers. But I didn't quite say it like this. I said, come, come, let's meet together. And then through the course of conversation, she came and she couldn't look at me and she wouldn't hold my eye and she was just a broken girl. And her mum had to speak on her behalf and the little baby was in the pram, mostly sleeping. And I said, well, come to church and we, we have this thing called dedication where we just celebrate the fact that God has given you a child and, and you, know, you want to just make promises about parenting and she was so far from God and she thought she, the reason she didn't speak to me she told me two years later was because she thought I was going to tell her off and say you stupid girl what have you done with your life because that's what everyone else had said to her she started coming with a little boy and she sat at the back with a pram and she was de dedicated little boy in November and it was that moment are they going to still come and they did. And about 18 months later, she became a Christian. And that's wonderful. And as I talked to her, I said, what was it about you wanting to come? She said, well, I was just thankful because I thought God was going to punish me and my child, my baby, wasn't going to be right because of all the mistakes and all the way that she'd smoked and taken drugs and cursed her mother and fought and been... A really unpleasant woman. She thought, God's going to punish me. And she spent her pregnancy frightened and frightened and frightened because what would happen when her child was born? And she was amazed that he was born normal. And she said, why did you call the church? She said, I just wanted to say, in this precious life, thank you. And as we welcomed her to church, and as no one's kind of said, you're too bad, she began to find that people genuinely liked her, cared for her, for her son and for her family. And over the course of the months, she discovered more and more about this Jesus. He says, come to me. And you know what? She now works as a teaching assistant. She's retaken some A-levels. She actually is part of the leadership of the church. Welcome to the kingdom. I'm going to tell you about a man called Dave. Dave was uh, top of his field, top of his profession in business, had it, got it all sorted, he'd got a nice wife, two nice kids, you know, it was all tickety-boo, nice BMW, big bike, he loved to go biking, leathers, and he worked hard and he, you know, everything was great with them. One day there was a knock on my door and Dave appeared and he was in tears, he said, I need to talk to you, I said, come in. And he said, I've just come off my motorbike because I was, he said, my life is collapsing. I said, why? He didn't come to church, but I knew him through his wife, he did. He said, I've got a secret. What is it? I'm a gambler. He said, okay. Why is the world falling apart? He said, I've racked up debt. I said, okay. How much? 40,000 pounds. My wife doesn't know. And I can't sustain it anymore. I've juggled the credit cards and I've, I've taken out these loans and it's all coming crashing down. 
And the reason I'm here is because I went on my bike to end it. And he said, I couldn't do it. I'm such a failure, he said. I can't even end this. I've made such a mess of my life. The house is going to be repossessed. My family is going to be devastated. My wife's going to leave me. He said he was just in bed. And he said, Lord, Jesus, if you're there, help. And he said, I remembered a hymn from school. And he began to, his wife was asleep next to him. He just began to whisper the words of the hymn. And he said, something changed. And that's why I'm here. A tiny seed of hope. In the midst of my devastated life. Help. And Jesus helped. He had to tell his wife. She didn't chuck him out. And they're working through the debt. And he's a believer. He's retrained. He's got a new job. And life's beginning to be put back on course. And he now, he now spends one day of his week, every week, night, going out on the streets and meeting with homeless guys and taking them a bacon roll and soup and sitting with them and telling them his story and praying with them and saying, welcome to the kingdom. If Jesus can do it for me, he can do it for you. Welcome to the kingdom. For all nations, for all peoples, the little people without character or qualification, those who've messed up big time, those who just have got bored, thinks, what's the point? Welcome to a new life. Welcome to the kingdom. Such is the kingdom. So amazing. So, so amazing. The reason I've had these little pictures of hands, I found them uh, pieces of art, and I, there's something about the reach, the grasp, isn't there? God reaches out to you today. And many of you, would, as you nodded your head, and said, yeah, I'm a believer. I'm one of those people that have been grasped hold of. I'm one of those people who are blessed now because I was poor in spirit and I mourned and I was weak and I was helpless. And I've come to belong to this kingdom. Thank you, Jesus. And you know what he says? Make a difference now, brothers and sisters. All nations still need to hear. And even your neighbor next door hasn't yet got it. All nations, welcome to the kingdom. One of the things we've really intentionally been doing, and part of this church is to be invitational. To be part of a culture that says, will you come? Will you come to Alpha? Will you come to a flower arranging demonstration? Will you come to church on Sunday? Will you come to a carol service? Will you come to our home group social? Will you come? Because you're welcome. You may not have come or been part of anything like this before, but come, you're welcome. Don't forget, Dostoevsky says this, to love a person means to see him as God intended him or her to be. 
keep on inviting. I know people say no. Or you get all a bit messed up inside. I came across this wonderful video clip. Uh, we've got Christmas service and we've got Christmas cards. Have you invited anyone yet? Two weeks' time. You can do that. I came across this video clip. It's, it's kind of well done, and I liked it, so I thought I'd show you. You know, you, we all get in a tangle about inviting people, don't we? Because there's all sorts of reasons. This clip says it. It's just a bit of fun. You can do this, man. No, I can't. Yes, you can. It's just church. You can invite him. Just do it. What's the worst that could happen? Hey, Roger. Hey, you want to go to church with me and my family this Christmas? You think we're a couple of losers? They'll have plans on Christmas. Why don't you try and make me? Christmas a humbug? Surely you don't mean that. I do mean that. In fact, every nitwit that runs about with the phrase Merry Christmas on his lips should be run over by a tractor and buried with a stick of holly through his heart! Okay, come on, come on. Seriously, you've got to snap out of this. Just invite him. Oh, but what if I say the wrong thing? Listen, I know you don't have a life, so... Man, it seems like you don't get out much. I'm betting you don't have a lot of friends, right? Man, you are wildly unpopular. Hey, Roger! <laughs> What's wrong with you? I have a heart condition. Oh, oh, great. I don't have a pulse. Okay, now that that's out of your system, quit being silly. There's nothing to be afraid of. Hey, Roger. Oh, hey, Paul. It's looking good. Uh... Yeah, it's, uh, it's getting there. What's up, man? Well, I, I don't know if you have any plans or not yet, but Christine and the kids and I, well, we would love it if you came to our Christmas service at our church. Oh, wow. Uh, uh, actually, we were planning on attending somewhere. We just we hadn't decided where. Yeah, I, I guess that'd be fine. Uh, yeah, man, that sounds great. <laughs> invite. Do you know, as we invite, we, we extend the hands of Christ. He says, you're welcome. We've heard it. Maybe you, you need that invitation today. You want to come and be with this Jesus. You've not got it sorted and your life's messed up. You're welcome. Come to Jesus. He's the author of your faith. He'll start you anew. And he'll work through all these things and he will give you purpose and life and rest and hope, forgiveness. And we encourage you, brothers and sisters, this Christmas time, it's dead easy to invite people to, to a social or even to a Christmas service because people kind of see that. Start a sort of season for it. Maybe say, would you come over for dinner before a carol service on the 23rd and would you like to come with me, I'll drive. What's the worst that can happen? Well, I suppose you give them food poisoning. Um, <laughs> but that aside, invite them. And you know what? As we do that, we extend 
in the spiritual realm, the opportunity and the invite of God. For God, the Holy Spirit is calling all people because he's done it for us. We can count on him to do it. And you know what? As we do this more and more, we'll begin to love more. As we pray for more of love, he will put that burning passion yet more in our hearts. And we're still living in the kingdom that comes and says, there's places in Egypt and Syria and wherever else we'd care to name that needs to hear the invitation, welcome to the kingdom. Welcome to the King Jesus. Let's stand together and we'll pray. In one of his last acts before Jesus died, he forgave a thief dangling on the cross next to him, knowing full well that the thief had converted out of plain desperation. That thief on the cross would never study the Bible, never attend synagogue or church, never make amends for all those he'd wronged. He simply said, Jesus, remember me. And Jesus promised, today you'll be with me in paradise. Brothers and sisters, it's not about being good. It's crying help. Help. Save me. And this Christmas time, we remember Jesus has come. He is the savior of the world. There is no other place of help. Jesus is. And even now amongst us, turn to Jesus. There is no sin he cannot forgive. There is no life that has been put too far away for him <laughs> to redeem. There is no problem too intractable for him to bring light and hope and transformation. And I pray, Lord, for that person amongst us or people to turn to you right now Put your trust in Jesus. And brothers and sisters who've been welcomed to the kingdom, let us rejoice in a savior who has given life. And I pray for us, Jesus, for just that courage, even little courage, to invite. Even if it's been done before and they've said no, let's just do it again. Enable us, Jesus, to serve you as witnesses. And to see many more here they are welcome. Give us the privilege of welcoming, of inviting people through the door, into, through Jesus, into life again.
even this week, even this Advent and Christmas season, we pray for lost people to find Jesus, for the kingdom to be built, for new citizens to come to be. Fill us, Holy Spirit, we need you. Wipe away anything that, in, that has got in the way that has darkens or distracts that we ask you to clean us. Clean us. Restore us. Oh 